Welcome to Following the Way. We're a podcast that's all about following Jesus and learning his way for our lives. We believe that scripture reveals this way and invites us to follow. We're glad you're with us as we seek together. Hello and welcome everyone. It's good to be together. Trust that you've been enjoying these podcasts that we've been doing on the letters to the churches in the Revelation to the Apostle John at the back of our New Testaments. Letters that are poignant in uh, what they revealed Jesus saying to the churches and and what he was speaking. And and as he said in his words, let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so that's really our desire in this is that through these words of Jesus that are eternal, that are uh, for all time and for us today, that we would hear what he's saying to us in the midst of these days, and that he would be revealing specific things to us that pertain to us and how he would have us live out this word and the application of this in our lives. And so we've been going through looking at what he says first with Ephesus, Smyrna, and now we come to the church in Pergamum in, uh, again, Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. And so I'm going I'm to read these verses uh, here to start, and then we'll, we'll dig into them. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So these words to the church in Pergamum, they they start off with a few words that are encouraging, but the bulk of this is a reality that this church gets a pretty serious and sobering rebuke from Jesus. And there is things that we see in here that certainly I think uh, we would see correlation to the culture that we live in and to things that we are seeing and experiencing in the church today as well. It's helpful to have some some context again of, of Pergamum and what it was about and some of the details of this city uh, that help bring depth to the words that are being spoken here by Jesus because he's writing this within context and it's very personal uh, and relevant to that city. But we, we can learn a lot from this as well, and we can take a lot away from this. 
So Pergamum was the, the second biggest city in Asia at the time. There was around 200,000 people that lived there. So that, that's a substantial city for first century uh, in the Roman Empire. It had a library in it with 200,000 scrolls that were all handwritten. And so that was a significant achievement. Uh, they were competing actually against Alexandria at the time to kind of have the, the Mecca of libraries, if you will, uh, in the Roman Empire. And the Romans also had a seat of their government here. And so it was a very political city. It was, it was powerfully um, political. Uh, it was also built a thousand feet above the surrounding area. So it sat well above the surrounding geographical area. And so it was actually in that sense, kind of a natural fortress. And, and that was certainly part of the, the culture, the DNA of the city, if you will. And it was the center for four cults, uh, which again, you know, 200,000 people, there's a lot of stuff going on there in the Roman Empire. Um, but the chief god was Asipolis, who uh, the symbol of Asipolis was that of a serpent. He was the, the god of healing. In fact, this is where, uh, when you see that graphic of a rod with a serpent wrapped around it that's used by many medical associations in the world, that's hearkening back to Asipolis and um the Greek mystique around him as the God of healing. And so there was lots of stuff that went on with uh, temple worship to him in this city. It was a city full of power, full of idol worship, and full of sexual immorality. And and as John Stott's commentary says on this, he makes the note that, that there was all this paraphernalia uh, in, in Pergamum of an alternative society catering for bo- mind, body, and spirit. So it was very, in a sense, cutting edge at the time for what it was offering to uh, to claim that it could heal people of various things in their lives. And so uh, we read here in these words that the church is in the midst of this. And, you know, Jesus says some pretty striking things here. He says that this city, Satan has his throne here. You know, you wonder if he's, again, making sort of a correlation between Satan's power over the city and the political power that the people lived under. Uh, Twice he mentions that this is where, well, he says, this is where Satan has his throne. And then he says, this is where Satan lives. Uh, And and really the, you know, the positive he says is that in the midst of this, you remain true to my name. You didn't renounce your faith in me, even in the midst of Antipas, the one individual who was who was martyred for his faith. And, and as the story is understood, it's because he would not uh, admit and he would not affirm that Caesar is Lord, which that was the common thing. If you got into trouble, they just wanted to deal with you. They would, they would bring you before and you'd have to make a small offering to Caesar and, and claim that and, and affirm that he's Lord. And then we're good. And he wouldn't do that. So he was martyred. And so this is in the history of this church. We don't we don't have a lot of information about that. But in the midst of this, the church didn't renounce their faith, but there is uh, there there's compromise going on. And 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 I would say even more than compromise. It says that there are those, and Jesus says, This is what I have against you. There are those who hold to the teaching. And then he talks about Balaam and he talks about the Nicolaitans again, who are mentioned in the letter to Ephesus. And the way, you know, that, that wording there, you hold to the teaching. That's not like 
passing slippage. This is about identification. This is allowing teaching practices and beliefs in our lives that will lead us away from Jesus. It's not sort of just like, well, I have this little thing and, you know, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm identifying with the culture in this way, but it's okay. It's Jesus, what he says about it is this, it, this will lead you away from me. This will cut you off from me. And so he says, he mentions this teaching of Balaam, which, you know, you might go, what's that all about? Balaam was a provocative figure in the Old Testament. Uh, he seemed to be obedient to God when we, we read of his, the account of him in Numbers um, 22 to 24. He, he wouldn't prophesy against or curse God's people when he was pushed by Balak. And so he kind of comes off looking good, but a careful reading of the text in Numbers reveals that his motives were for personal gain. He was willing to compromise for the sake of money. He kept actually kind of baiting and, and leading Balak on just to get more money out of him. And, and Numbers actually reveals that it was Balaam who was involved in enticing the Israelites into idolatry and sexual immorality with the Moabites. It says that at the beginning of Numbers 25. And here it says that he was responsible actually for teaching Balak how to entice God's people. And so what we realize is that Balaam's inability to curse God's people was more a result of God's purposes than, than, than actually his motive or, or his desire to, to remain obedient to God. It was more about what God was doing in that. And so what Jesus is, is revealing here is this gradual acceptance of the culture around us, this slow descent into idolatry and immorality, which are the two main focuses here in Pergamum. They were, they were, it was, the city was rife with that. And, you know, it's sort of this idea of like, well, you know, where's the harm in this? Everyone else does it. You know, why shouldn't you? It's okay. You know, if we, we kind of, you know, maybe, maybe we just need to understand scripture in a little bit of a different light. Maybe we need to compromise a little bit in this. Maybe, maybe we need to understand that society's changing, culture's changing. This is the temptation that has been in every generation. And the difference between Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum is intolerance versus tolerance. Ephesus would not even allow the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Jesus said that, that they hated it. So yes, they were in desperate need. They were in lack of love for Jesus and they had lost their love and passion and devotion for Jesus. But they were, they were different in how they responded to this teaching that was in the Roman Empire at the time. Smyrna was headed into a time of severe persecution because they would not compromise. I mean, they, they, get, they get quite the support from Jesus because of how they were responding. This was not Pergamum. They had Antipas the martyr, but they also had a growing tolerance for sin. And it seems that the temptation had been there for a while and they had stood against it when Antipas was martyred, but their slide into immorality had begun and into idolatry. And Jesus's words here, they're strong. His, he says, I, I'm not going to allow this to continue in my church. I'm coming with the sword of my mouth and I am going to fight against this wickedness if you allow this to continue in the church. Remember, he's writing this to the church. So he's, he's saying, you know, I understand what you're, you're living amidst. I understand that, that 
you you are battling strong demonic forces. There is there is tons of immorality all around you, but you have willingly allowed it. You hold to this in in the church. There's some of you in the church who are holding to this, and I'm not going to tolerate this in the church. And so it it is very strong what Jesus says, and it's sobering what he says. And and it's especially sobering potentially for us, or or it is. Because we can see where there's connections here between Pergamum and what we're living in. And are we holding to things that are not of the Lord? And so Jesus is very strong in his rebuke of that. And yet, there's a real encouragement to end because he says, you know, this is what's happening, but repent. Like, I, I don't. I don't want to do this. I actually, you know, Jesus's desires, I would have you repent. Hear what I am saying through my spirit to the churches. And so there's rewards and promises for those who overcome. And, and you know, there's, there's again, there's, there's a, he's, he's, what he's putting is against that is don't, don't get caught up in the promises and the rewards of this earth. Don't look to that. Seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness. And so he says, there is though, for those who overcome, there is hidden manna. And, and you know, when I was reading this and, and I, I, it again brought me back to this last Sunday, we just I had a message that I preached from John on Jesus as the bread of life and how he, he invites us to come and, and eat of him and, and to be sustained by him and, and to be satisfied and nourished with the bread from heaven that Jesus offers us. And this is this is what he's getting at again with this church. He's like, like, I am the one who gives you what you need to be sustained. I, I will give you this hidden manna. It's a really wonderful promise. And then he talks about the white stone. And there's there's various interpretations of, of what this could mean. Uh, there, there's a specific context to the to the time. Uh, and, and, and we know some of that um, from, from what we know of the details around around Pergamon and the Roman Empire. Uh, but we don't we don't know exactly, but but we can we can look into this a little bit and and, and get some idea of what Jesus is getting at here. And white stones seem to have been something given for access to special events and parties. They, they, in some respects, they were maybe even like kind of, if you got a white stone or something, it was kind of like VIP access. And so, you know, the, on one hand, it seems like Jesus is saying, don't look for the access into the systems of this world, into the temples of Pergamum, into all that stuff that promises you all sorts of, of, of care for your mind, body, and spirit. And he's like, no, no. And and that's that's true of our society now today. And he says, no, look to the white stone. Look to the access that I will give you. Don't look for the access in the systems of this world, but overcome and remain steadfast for entrance into my kingdom, into God's kingdom. White stones were also used in the temple of Asipolis when people had paid a bunch of money to seek healing through the gods. And I won't get into the details about this, but it, it is, these white stones signify that you had been healed by the snake god when you had done a bunch of things that the priests had told you to do and you'd paid a bunch of money. It was part of actually even how the economy 
uh, ran in Pergamum. And, and so you'd get your name on a white stone and to be proof like a syphilis has healed you of this. Um, even, even if he hadn't, uh, but that's, that's a whole other thing. But there's something here too. What Jesus is getting at with all this, this cultural context with these white stones that they're, it's about personal relationship with him, a name engraved on the stone that is only known to the individual who receives it. There, there's, it speaks of personal affection and care. And, you know, you think about this, we, we all have perspectives of ourselves. We all, we all deal with insecurities. We all deal with shortcomings. We have memories of how we have been seen and viewed by others. And, and this can become part of our identity. And Jesus says, I will give you a name. I will give you a name, actually, that is, it's, it's I know it, but no one else is going to know it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal to you how I see you. I will solidify your identity in me. And so that's an incredible encouragement where Jesus is saying, don't, don't hold to this teaching. Repent if, if you have in any way, if you're giving into the systems of this world, if you're, if you're being, if, if you feel the inclination and the pull to, to become tolerant, to, to compromise in, in the things of this world, he says, repent. Don't, don't, don't let that go on. Be quick to repent and be an overcomer. Overcome and, and hold to the promises that I will give you. Don't give in to the pressures of the world around you that seem so normal and so acceptable. This is just, this is the way that we live life in Pergamum. This is, this is just the way that, that we function in Canada. This is normal. And, and there is this ongoing, constant pressure in so many respects where we can feel like we are being beaten down, where it almost becomes like, oh yeah, maybe this is like, maybe, maybe this is normal. Maybe I just need to accept this. Maybe, you know, I, I know that scripture is clear about this, but it just seems like what's, what's, what's the problem? And Jesus says, don't be deceived by those who hold to teaching, even in the church that is opposed to my way. Don't be deceived. Hold to the way of Jesus and overcome and know that Jesus is, is with us. I need to hear those words in these days. You know, there, there's a, it, it's sort of like, it can feel like something is the pressure of culture and society and, and things that go against the ways of Jesus can feel like just these waves that keep battering us, that keep, the tide keeps coming in battering. And Jesus is reminding us, don't give in. Don't, 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 compromise is real. It's happened before, happens in every generation. Don't be a part of that. So I'd encourage you with that. Let's, let's keep close to Jesus. Let's be encouraged about what Jesus says to us. Let's be those who hear what his spirit is saying to the churches. Bless you folks. We will be back again. The next letter that we're going to be looking at is to the church in Thyatira. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and unpacking that. Until next time, blessings upon you, and Lord willing, we will see you again.